We then went into the change rooms. Prince Harry would have been in there. There were some beers in there. I thought I'd quietly slip away. They were plastic chairs, so I took one into the shower with a beer, had a drink, thought it was an opportune moment to wash my kit. Otherwise, it would have been three days of stinking in my kit bag. But yeah, I just needed a bit of time and reflection to myself. You're listening to England Rugby Untold, the 2003 Rugby World Cup. My name's Richard Hill, and I play back row. I'm lucky that I was introduced to rugby at a young age. My brother was five and a half years older, so from probably from the moment I was born, I was being taken up to watch him. I think I started as a four-year-old, cried my eyes out, left it for another year, and I started properly as a five-year-old. I had a lot of players that I played with at mini rugby and junior rugby who were brilliant rugby players, really good rugby players. I, didn't know it at the time, but we were training at a pretty high standard. I think to start with at mini rugby, it was a huge amount of enjoyment. And I think that's one of the bits that underpinned staying in the game and enjoying it for so long. Going through the picture there, Richard Hill. It's his 50th cap today. The tradition is that he leads the side out on that day, but he said, go on to Johnson, you know it. Typical of Hill. Big pat on the back for Hill. Great moment for him unselfish in all that he does, a team man. I think as a team we were in a different place to many teams that I've been involved in. We'd had a good 12 months building up to the World Cup. We were unbeaten uh, for the whole season before it. Had two great results, one in Australia, one in New Zealand. This England team baked the All Blacks in their own cake tin in Wellington last week. England historically gets their first ever win against the Wallabies on Australian soil. An emphatic victory. Three tries to one, 25 plays 14. And then we came in for what was a, a tough summer period. Enjoyable from the knowledge that you were improving. You were working incredibly hard. We, we didn't have many opportunities, whereas in England team, we had that type of build-up, that length of build-up. And that's still the case you know, every four years now. That opportunity to train with the best players in England continuously just raises the competition. Um, you know, certainly the back row was always competitive in terms of selection. You know, you had that fine balance between trying to celebrate who's possibly the best at anaerobic running or lifted the most, ran the best 3K. Whatever someone else posted as a score, a time, a, a lift, you know, you just wanted to try and bridge that gap or, or, or maintain a lead out there. But that, that just drove us all on and meant that we went into those warm-up matches, those uh, preparation games as ready as we could be. I'd been to one World Cup, but I, I don't believe we ever thought we'd win it. Um, we weren't a good enough team, but there was a genuine belief this time that we, we stood a good chance and we perform, we can win. We'd had an interesting relationship with the Australian media while we were out there. We arrived to, I think, 15 statements about why we couldn't win the World Cup. One of them would have been that we were too old. We were Dad's army. It wasn't an issue, but it, it was something that we were conscious of that at the end of the tournament, it was pretty pleasant to open the newspaper the next day and read the statement that says we got it wrong. Yes, it's quite nice to, to think that, yeah, we'd have used it as a motivational tool. I, I think. The group were incredibly tight and we, we knew that what our physical capabilities were. It wasn't, it wasn't governed by age. 
yeah, we certainly might have had a high average age, but then we also had quality individuals who, over the, the three, four year period building up to the World Cup, who were adding you know, that impetus around you know, an increase in skill, energy to the group and who became central cogs of the, the, the starting team. With the six, seven and eight of England, Hill, Back and Delalio. They boast 173 caps between them, big, strong, and they'll be looking to turn over Australia's ball at the breakdown. In the backs, Johnny Wilkinson, what an outstanding player he'll be. He can kick left and right foot, and for me, he's the best player in the world at the moment. Uh, that, once we won the semi-final, that was a Sunday night game and that only meant for a six-day turnaround. So we knew that there had to be a huge focus on, on the recovery side of it, the, making sure that we prepared, but we weren't taking out too much energy out of ourselves. I don't think I've had a, a week that's been so interrupted by you know, lack of sleep. I, I don't know if anyone had the, the pleasure of sleeping like as they did normally. They may well have done, to be fair. I don't, I don't know. I mean, certainly I'd have shared it with people. You know, I was very you know, fortunate you get a close relationship with players. I had a very good relationship with the medics. I mean, I'm not sure that's a great thing to do because it normally means that you've got to see them too often. They probably had enough of me during the World Cup because of the hamstring injury I had, but they were just incredible people. So I think they got used to me probably coming in and telling them this hurts, that hurts, or I'm not sleeping. The one bit I would say is that last 24 hours, you know, I, I, I would always say that I had nerves. You know, it didn't matter whether it was, you know, playing the bottom team in the in the Premiership, it, I would have a, a level of nerves. So it just accentuated for a final. Um, and I yeah, always say I was in control of them, but I'd say the final 24 hours and particularly final three hours, and even sat in the changing room when you first arrived, the nerves, you're like, why do I do this? Why do I put myself through this? Do I need to? But at the end of it, you know that there's a match that takes place and the moment you step foot onto the field of play, that's when you're in your arena. That's when you're doing the bit you've always trained to do. So as soon as that kickoff happens, let's just get on with it and play. The next 80 minutes to decide the best team in the world. And Stephen Larkham again shifting the ball wide and a big clearing kick from Elton Flatley. Robinson slipping over. Good pressure from the Australians on halfway. I mean, Australia got off to a good start. The scrum in our 22 on our left-hand side and, and tactically played it brilliantly. Crossfield kick, Lottie Takiri goes up against Jason Robinson. That, yeah, that's, that's just a difference in height and great timing with the kick and jump. So fair play, yeah, they, they got that early lead. Once they got that early lead for the rest of the first half, though, it felt like we took a good stranglehold of it. Thought we played tactically well. We played in the right areas of the pitch, and clearly, you know, we got that opportunity to score, which Jason Robinson takes brilliantly with great work from Lawrence and Johnny. And it's looking, you know, pretty good. The momentum is certainly with us. We we felt comfortable going in at halftime. I don't believe for one moment there was any level of complacency, no drop off in terms of what we were trying to do in the second half. But certainly, momentum went against us. Penalties went against us, and then you're left in that dying minute of normal time three points up and all of a sudden Australia are on the attack and you you know you there's a there's a scrum scrum goes down I'll let the front row debate that one till the cows come home uh, it, it just didn't feel like a game where the scrum was going against us um, so that that's probably the most disappointing part around conceding the penalty and then Elton Flatley steps up kicks the goal Elton Flatley he steps up again 
for the second time in this game to level it up. Straight as a dive. 17-0. If the scores are tied at the completion of extra time, we'll have a five-minute interval and then a further extra time period shall be played. And that will be sudden death. And that'll be 10 minutes of pure hell. It never went to a panic. It never felt like, you know, oh, wow, how's this happened? This whole game's going against us. Yeah, the whistle goes, you have the regroup, and it's just like, no, fine. Don't need to change anything. Don't, don't tactically need to do anything that we've, you know, we've failed to do in the second half. Just get on and do what we, we know we've done for the last number of years. And we came out positively. Then on the back of the, I think it was about 93rd minute, that was the first of the hamstring cramp. It's like, yeah, all did. And then, yeah, that was my time. So 93 minutes, I suppose you could feel a bit of the nervous energy, particularly those that hadn't necessarily been on the pitch. You know, I suppose some of my feelings are sort of like suppressed by the fact that I'm pretty fatigued now. You, you can feel the ebb and flow of positive, negative like incidents and the, almost like the surge effect of if something positive happens, you know, people standing up, they're moving forward. Uh, just all those type of emotions were going through and but you could definitely feel like those that hadn't been on the pitch were, were exuding more nervous energy than the others. Probably the best thing that ever happened to us in terms of winning the World Cup was losing Grand Slams. The points differentials were within our control. You know, Clive definitely you know, made sure that we were aware that another string to our bow would be the drop goal routine. Johnny always being outstanding at delivering on the drop goal and picking the, the, the right moment. So when you, when you get to that point where the ball's kicked off, on the sideline, yes, we were more than aware of what the right thing to do was, what the plan should be, and it was quite uh, satisfying to see it play out, really. People were just making the right decisions, whether that was making the line break, whether that was sniping, whether that was pick and go, whether that was leave the ball alone and let someone specialist pass it. Yeah, every, everyone had a role to play and they played it, but... Johnny kicking on his perceived weaker foot just goes to show the hours he put in, how worthwhile it was and yeah, what his contribution was to the team. Uh, many a time, training would finish at Penny Hill Park and you might finish training, do a bit of recovery, you might pop out to quickly grab a coffee and come back. You know, it wouldn't be un unusual for Johnny still to be out kicking in darkness. That's where he felt comfortable. And that's the contribution he knew he could bring to the team. It's coming back for Johnny Wilkinson. He drops for World Cup glory. Yes! It's over. Yes! He's done it. Johnny Wilkinson is England's hero yet again. And there's no time for Australia to come back. England have just won the World Cup. I was pitch side, ground level, to the side. Uh, the line out had taken place on our side in front of us, so you're watching play go away. And then Johnny lines up for the kick. Yeah, that's when everyone's starting to stand, nervous. When, when's it happening? When's going to be the right time? And then when it goes off his foot, it, it, it's a pitching wedge. 
and it goes incredibly high. It loops, and Andre Watson, the referee, I'm watching him because we can't see whether it has gone over. We can hear noise, crowd noise, which is giving an indication, but he almost waited until he got underneath the post to actually award it. You're then going through the raw emotion of ecstatic around that's just gone over, but then you're looking at the clock going, there's still time to kick off. And my personal is, my reaction would be, calm down, calm down, calm down. We haven't won it, but you've still got people jumping up and down. Unfortunately, Trevor Woodman had the, 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 the headspace to actually not only be in the right place, but to do a skill that he wasn't necessarily perceived to do for his position, but he'd probably practiced it quite a few times because he enjoyed practicing it, and he takes the kickoff. We don't win that kickoff because they, they targeted him. You know, they went for a front row forward who they probably felt that they could put someone up high against, tap the ball back, recycle ball and then have one shot you know overturning our lead but Trevor Fairplayton the salmon got up secured possession once possession was secured it's how far can you safely pass it backwards to make sure the kick to touch is not charged down it wasn't I definitely wasn't one of the quicker ones into the middle of the pitch I'm no. so happy to have been able to play in the final to be honest Two weeks before that, I didn't even think I was still going to be at the World Cup. Um, panic was starting to come in before the quarterfinal. So I spent an incredible amount of time with the physios. They were, and do the doctor and masseur. Yeah, they were all brilliant with me. All kept my spirits up, kept telling me that I was going to be right. More importantly, Clive was telling me that he was prepared to wait. And the medics were 100% you will be getting back. So I kept going with it, trying to do everything I could. By the time I'd had my scan, I arrived at the training ground. The players were actually leaving the change room as I walked in because they were going back to the hotel. I'm going out in my head to do a fitness session to prove whether I still should be at a World Cup. And I've also realised we're probably at the point where if I'm not fit now, I won't play in the semi or the final. So let's go out, let's either prove this thing's fit or I'm going to rip it properly. So. Fortunately, I came out the other side. So when I collapsed in exhaustion at the end of the session, but in a elation that I'd got through the whole thing without any pain, yeah, I'm okay. And up steps Martin Johnson, the first Northern Hemisphere captain to lift that champion. I would say there's as much relief as there is any other emotion. I remember the, the stage coming out, waiting there until it was your turn to receive your medal. Sort of vaguely remember Jono lifting the trophy. And then we went on the, the lap of honour around the pitch. And I'd seen the trophy. It'd been very close to me. But it never actually made its way to me for a long time. I think we nearly did a full lap before I actually got my hands on it. Um, there'd been various points where the team had ducked down into a group to have a photo. Yeah, it would have been right on the... We'd, we'd literally done virtually a whole lap before it got in my hands, but it just happened to be when um, all our partners had been allowed onto the pitch. So my first touch was when Claire got on the pitch, so that was great timing. Um, so got a nice photo at home with a pair of us. 
clearly washing the kit was like a byproduct, but it was more just getting somewhere to have a quiet moment. There was so much going on in the change room. There was the natural euphoria, you know, even the unlikely characters who, you know, people always would say, can they smile, can they, yeah, they were jumping up and down. So it was brilliant to see. I just needed, I needed a couple of minutes. The group were incredibly headstrong, competitive, definitely a load of animals in there. Um, yeah, it was hard-nosed. Yeah, there might be things said to Jono around, oh, yeah, Jono, we're training too much. We're, yeah, this is, the, yeah, we need to concentrate on the game at the weekend and you get this dark shadow appear above you and it's like, no, we're not. And you're like, no, you're right, we're not. Um, but, there were, but then we, I suppose I alluded to it with, we had this, almost like a crisis meeting after the quarterfinal against Wales. Got down to Sydney and I'm sitting in a meeting just going, I'm fit, I don't want a crisis meeting, I just want to play. Um, but quite rightly, there were a number of issues that you know, needed to be discussed. Um, you know, these are the ones we're taking forward, these are the ones we're not. Um, and Jono took the important ones through to Clive. And I think that's probably the nature of the relationship they had and how great they both were that if Jono took something to Clive, it meant it was important. So, yeah, the semi-final and final weeks, no, there was a huge cut back in terms of the amount of training, when we were training, what we were doing in training. Um, but it fitted in with the players knowing what we needed to do as a team. That was the basis of the team's longevity together. We, we could work it out. And we did, um, and it was supported. Look out, number 10, Downing Street, Buckingham Palace. England will celebrate long and hard. Well, there was a nuts couple of days. Obviously, one, the celebration in Sydney. Two, coming home to an incredible welcome. We had the day, it must have been, what, a couple of weeks after we'd come back, which was, you know, a day in London, where we were going to number 10, we were going to Buckingham Palace, and we had this bus parade. And myself and Kieran had agreed that with, you know, Clive and the management, that rather than us drive all the way around to Swickenham, it'd be a lot easier if we just drove into central London. So we weren't with the big group as they came into London, um, but... We're driving into London, there's no cars on the road. And like, you're being told there's been this big parade. And you're thinking, we've been set up for a fall here. We got to the hotel, it was great. It you know, was the first time since we arrived back home that we'd seen each other. So there was all the great hugs and uh, jubilation of seeing each other and finding out what everyone had been up to. But the moment the bus hit Marble Arch, and then when we went to Trafalgar Square, oh my Lord, you just couldn't. You just could not imagine. It, uh, again, it was one of those uncomfortable moments. You're just not knowing what to do. I'm sort of leaning at the back of the bus with Johnny, just pondering over life with a little bit of a wave here, a little bit of a wave there. Just going, what, what have we done? How have we done it? Um, but it was worthwhile.
three quarters of a million people, or whatever the total was, is just mind-blowing. People talk about sacrifices, and I'd like to think, yeah, I made a lot of sacrifices in my career to get that honour to put on an English shirt in a final and win it. Uh, but it's all the people around you that make bigger sacrifices because they're living your dream for vast times of the year, the years. Uh, so, yeah, you want them to be part of it and, and feel special. So, yeah, I had, I had Claire out there, I had my mum and dad, and I had my sister out there. So, yeah, that was great. I didn't, I didn't know whether they would, they would choose to do something like that, but they did. I mean, clearly Claire would. And, um, I think I think she laboured as Claire's a teacher, so that was labelled as a once-in-a-lifetime um, situation. So we have to be careful on how many of those she's still got in life. Um, we still try and create more once-in-a-lifetimes, but but no. Um, in, in terms of you know Claire getting on the pitch, you know that's that's special. That's uh, and and great to have a living memory, not only memory but also that that picture together because I think it's probably in every member of our family's houses. To be honest, can't escape it.